going to go to chapter number one, the Gospel of Luke. Chapter number one, I want to begin reading with verse 30. And I'm going to read all the way down through verse 38. Luke 1, verse 30 through 38, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. With God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So verse 37 with God nothing shall be impossible, verse 38, be it unto me according to thy word. So our title this evening is How to Believe God. How to Believe God. What's the right way? What's the wrong way? What's the correct way and proper way? But let's, let's sing this prayer hymn. The words say, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Let's sing. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, tried and true, and with thanksgiving I'll be a living. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Amen, amen. Well, you know, whenever we think about Scripture and we think about having faith in God, certainly we do need to know how to believe God. Scripture says we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. That is to say there will never be a time in your Christian life where you're not praying for something or believing God for something. Once God answers one prayer, then you're going to have something else that's a burden of your heart, and you're going to want to pray about that. If he saves one relative, you have another one to pray for. If God delivers you from one bad circumstance, there will be another circumstance to pray for. That is to say that as long as you're a Christian, the devil is going to do everything he can to create havoc in your life and to create adverse circumstances from which you will very often cry out to God. So there is a right way to believe God when you're passing through a very difficult valley, when you're passing through a valley of decisions, and there's a wrong way to do it. And this passage that we read 
This evening we're looking at a lady by the name of Mary. An angel has come to visit her because she has been chosen by God for a very, a very specific assignment. She's going to be a God-bearer. She's going to give birth to the Son of God, God in the flesh. And the angel has to come and communicate this to her because this is going to be so unique that it will never be duplicated again in this world. And as you can see from the reading of the passage, she struggled with how to believe that this occurred, seeing how she had never been with a guy. The angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And that means that the Lord can do things through you, in you, and for you, even if it's something that's hard for you to conceive. So here's the, the first point that I want to bring out when it comes to, to how to believe God. Number one, you, you cannot let anything come between you and the Bible. Because this is the book that tells you about God. It gives you all the instruction that you need to get from here to heaven. It teaches you how to fight your enemies, how to resist your foes, how to stand with your friends, and how to make alliances in faith and agree with people in prayer. Don't let anything come between you and this book. There will always be people who will tell you there's something wrong with the book. The book is filled with legends. The book is filled with myths. Certainly you can't believe everything that's written and recorded in the book. But look, if, it's, if, if any of it is not true, none of it's true. So you start with Genesis 1 and go right on out the book, end of the book of the Bible. If, if, if you can't believe that God made the heavens and the earth. If you struggle with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If that is difficult for you, you're definitely going to have a hard time believing God took the dust of the earth and made a man. And then from that man's rib created a woman. And if you can't believe that, you're not going to believe that it's possible for one couple's sin to be so consequential that every child born in this world is born in sin, shaped in iniquity, as David described his own conception and birth. If you struggle with that, you're going to have a difficulty believing that an axe head did float when the prophet threw a stick into the water, or that Daniel was delivered from a lion's den. Can you really believe that Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary if you have a hard time believing God made the heavens and the earth? Can you really believe that our, that our Savior died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead if you cannot believe that God took one man named Abraham, made a family, made a tribe, made a nation, and from that nation brought forth a Savior. So over and over again as Christians, you're going to see that we're going to have to wrestle with this idea of do I allow anybody to come between me and my book? Your Bible, the scriptures that you have, this is what tells you how to live this life. And without this book, it's impossible for you to do it properly. But as long as the scriptures are clear, then God can speak to you and talk to you about this. Okay, well, well, Pastor, what if I have family members that don't believe? Then they don't believe. But that doesn't change you. And that doesn't change what the Bible teaches. So what if I have a, have a good friend that says to me, well, I have a loved one that we prayed for, and that loved one passed away. Well, what, what does the passing away of a loved one have to do with the book? What does it have to do with Scripture? Don't let anything or any circumstance come between you and your Bible. As long as the umbilical cord runs from your spirit to Scripture, you'll be able to nourish yourself spiritually and grow in grace and in knowledge. That's important. Now here's the second thing. 
you, you need to know that, that there's a difference between what is true and then you need to know there's a difference between what is, what is truth and what is a fact. These things do change. Jesus said he's truth. He's immutable. He doesn't change. But facts change all the time. When I say facts, I don't mean F-A-X. I mean F-A-C-T-S. Facts change all the time. If you have ever read any of the Johns Hopkins medical newsletters or the Harvard medical newsletters that come out, then you, you'll probably observe that they'll have these paragraphs that will tell you at one time it was believed, and then they'll list all these different things they told people that they should do, whether it was a certain kind of food to eat or something they need to apply to themselves to, to heal themselves. And, and now they'll come back and they'll say, okay, we've discovered through new studies that those, those things are no longer true. So the facts in medicine, they change. But when Pilate asked Jesus the question and said, what is truth? Jesus had already explained in the Gospel of John, he is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth of the matter is Jesus doesn't change. But information, facts, they will. The weather, it'll change. The meteorologist will stand on that, uh, in front of that television, in front of that camera. He'll say, look, folks, I'm telling you five days from now it's going to be 22 degrees around here. So you want to batten down the hatches, it's going to be a lot of rain, it's going to be tough, it's going to be a difficult time. Freezing rain and everything else. And then the day before it's supposed to happen, he'll come back and say, there's been a change in the weather. We want to let you know it's going to be sunny skies tomorrow. But the one thing we know that Scripture says about Jesus, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if I'm going to believe God, I have to have information that doesn't change. Now, if the Scripture teaches in the first century the blood of Jesus redeemed us and brought forgiveness of sin, then we have to believe it worked the same way in the second century, in the third century, and even now. If they could find forgiveness of sins, you can find it today. There's nothing you've done or I've done that cannot be cleansed by the precious blood of the Lord. If they repented in the first century, people should be able to do that today. And when God speaks directly to your heart about these things, you don't ever want there to be any kind of change at all. If he was filling people with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way out through 28, and in the early history of the church, I can promise you there's been no change at all. Because he's, he's not different for a different group of people. His word remains the same. Looking here at Luke chapter 1 again in verse number 30. This is important. It says the angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid. So this is a personal word. So if you're going to believe God, you've got to be able to take scripture and personalize it. How can I take this book and make it personal for me in my circumstance? Now keep a finger here and let's go to Daniel chapter 9 in the Old Testament. Now Daniel is back there in those smaller books. That'll be after Isaiah and your Jeremiah and your Ezekiel. It's going to be back there in those smaller books where the pages are still stuck together. But, but Daniel chapter 9. And uh, I, I want you to observe how in the first few verses that give some insight and some information. Now, if ever you are looking for a book, you can quickly go to the table of contents in the front of your Bible and you will find that. But in Daniel chapter 9, look at verse number 2. 
in the first year of his reign, talking about Darius's reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Jeremiah prophesied that because of Israel's sins, the Jewish nation would be taken captive to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. It happened just like Jeremiah prophesied. Daniel was born at the end of that period of captivity, and he discovered by looking at the Hebrew scrolls and reading Jeremiah's word that this has been fulfilled, so this applies to us now. Liberty, freedom, escape. This is our season. This is our time. We do not have to continue to stay here and believe God for more and more of an incarcerated situation. We can expect that God's going to deliver us right now. And that is how he began to pray. But remember, he discovered, he discovered it through the word. So liberty, freedom, it comes through what you learn from scripture. It's not enough for someone to say it to you, but once you see it with your own eyes and you understand it, then liberty can come to you. I want to give you another illustration. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8, first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8. We know that eight centuries before Jesus was born, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah who told us in chapter 53 about someone who was going to come. And when you looked at him, there was nothing about him that you would desire him. His physical appearance was weak. And it also said that he would be like a sheep led to the slaughter. That his death would be such that with his stripes we are are healed. That he would bear our infirmities, our griefs, our sorrows. Notice Matthew 8 verse number 16. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed some of those that were sick. Does it say that? It says all that were sick. Maybe most of those would be better if we said that. No, no, all that were sick. Look at verse 17. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, It's Matthew who's writing this after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes the time to do this little editorializing here where he shows us that Jesus' action was the fulfillment of an 8th century old prophecy. That every time Jesus healed somebody, this was in fulfillment of what Isaiah said. That's important to know. That shows you that when Jesus was going about doing wonderful things and setting the captives free, he was not doing it because he didn't have anything else to do. Every action was based upon something that needed to be done to fulfill the Old Testament law. That Jesus didn't do anything by accident. There were no coincidences with him. Everything was divinely ordained. The providential hand of God was upon his life. And so here you can see that Isaiah is fulfilled in every demon-possessed person that's set free. Every person that was healed. Let's go to the end of the New Testament. To 1 Peter chapter 2. That'll be just before the book of Revelation. And uh, 
the Johns, but first Peter chapter 2, continuing with that thought of the fulfillment of Isaiah, first Peter 2 verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. End of the New Testament, First Peter 2, verse 22, speaking of Jesus. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. That's Isaiah 53, 5. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That's part of Isaiah 53, 6. So here's what I'm getting at. The third aspect of what I said about how to believe God has to do with you being able to take scripture and personalize it. Just like Daniel did, to be able to look into the scriptures and see where scripture is fulfilled or is in the process of being fulfilled. And that fulfillment has everything to do with you. So when the scripture says Jesus healed the sick, cast out devils, that means that he was fulfilling Isaiah 53. And when Peter writes his epistle to the believers and says to them that with his stripes ye were healed, that's past tense. He's saying that now in your ability to believe God, you're believing because of what Christ has already accomplished at Calvary. He bore your sicknesses. He bore your disease. So by faith, then, I believe I'm made whole. Now that's important because that's in the fine print of your Bible. And there are a whole lot of people that will tell you, okay, that's not in the scripture at all. But I just walked you through it and showed you this is a matter of faith. This is you trusting God and me trusting God. It doesn't change God's word if you decide not to believe it. It'll still be available. If the scripture says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. But you say, I don't think God wants to save my brother or my son or my cousin or my friend. And you don't work to try to lead them to Christ. It doesn't change the Bible. It just means you have chosen not to apply that particular verse of scripture to your own life. I can give it to you this way. Let's suppose you had a business and you received a loan for about $100,000 or so. Let's say you had a business down on Main Street and... There was a little clause in your contract that said if you paid it off early, you would not have to pay this excessive amount of interest. So by paying it off early, you save a little bit of money. So that, that's in there for you. But one day you're in a conversation with someone and you kind of mention that to them and, and they say to you, well, no, I've never heard of that. I just don't think that's possible. If you take out a loan, you've got to pay that back and you've got to pay all the interest that they wants you to pay, and you can't pay it off early and save the interest. But you say, no, no, it's in the contract. I've already said, I don't believe it. Well, their unbelief doesn't change your contract, does it? You signed your name to the contract. You know what the fine print says. You, you, you've already read the clause. You know that if you paid it off early, you're going to save a whole lot of money. So their unbelief doesn't change your circumstance or your situation. That's what I'm getting at. And when we come to Scripture... The times I've had difficulties in my bodies and struggles with my health, laying in the, the, the bed in the hospital, I still had to believe what God said in First Peter 2. 
And when I was in the hospital at that time with the blood clots and John was coming up there to the room and just sitting there reading Psalms to me and reading verses out of the scripture to me, the whole point of that was to help me believe God. How do I believe God? I believe God by focusing on his word and I allow God's word to fill my mind rather than the thoughts and opinions of other people. There are a whole lot of people, they don't care anything about you and your health. They don't care about your marriage. They're not interested in your family. They're not interested in your job. Some people are just so negative and, and so bound to the culture of this world that they can't change their opinion. But here's what the scripture says. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you renew your mind? With God's word. The more of God's word you read, the more of God's word you can meditate on. The more of God's word you meditate on, the more of God's word you can digest. The more of God's word that you digest, the better you can apply it to your life and change habits that are bad. And then sometimes you can take good habits, make them better. Just simply by meditating on, on the word of God. Now returning to Luke chapter 1. So I've told you that you've got to personalize this word because that is exactly what happened with Mary in verse 30. She heard the angel speaking to her. It was a word for her. It was this was not the word for Elizabeth. Elizabeth had her own word. But this was for Mary. But when Daniel read the prophecies, he realized it was a word for him, but it wasn't just for him. It was for him and all of Israel. So there are things that God will say to you that he may not say to other people, but there's things that God says to you through the word that applies to every single one of us that are in here right now. When God told me as a young man in my 20s to get out of the Marine Corps, he said that to me. He didn't say that to you. He said that to me. But when the Lord says that we should be witnesses, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by your love one for for another. He didn't just say that to me. He said that to all of us. So it's a private thing, and it's a corporate thing. It's individual. But at the same time, it's general. Let's look at the next thing here. The angel in verse 31, 32, and 33, he gives some very personal information about this child that's going to be born. Verse 31, we learn the gender. The angel knew the gender. He'd be a son. The angel knew the name the child should have and gave it to the woman. He spoke of the effect that the child would have, saying that he'd be great, since he'd be magnificent. And he spoke of his relationship to God. He'd be the son of the highest. He would reign, having a throne, and reign over the house of Jacob. He knew that he would have an eternal kingdom. Now I'm reading all of these things because I want you to understand, the angel knew the particulars and passed on the particulars to Mary. The more particulars that Mary had, Later on, the greater her faith could be because she knows exactly what is supposed to take place. And this is what happens with faith. Once once you have information, you now can apply your faith specifically to the things that have been spoken to you. Now, these are prophecies in the sense that these are things that will come to pass in regards to faith. But it's also possible for people to say things to you. That have nothing to do with God at all, but nevertheless, factually, they're true. Factually, they're true. 
But you still need to be able to handle that also. So if you're, you're in the room with someone at school and it's a counselor or superintendent or principal and, and your child's been acting up and then they, they say, you know, your child is in trouble a whole lot and is constantly causing problems and getting into fights and there one, was one disturbance after another and, and things like that. Okay, from, from the standpoint of, of that, that, that faculty member or that person that's in administration, that's probably true. But that doesn't necessarily mean that is how the nature of the child is going to be for the rest of his or her life. They don't have to be a troublemaker. So how are you going to believe God? You're going to be, believe that God is able to take behavior and change it. God can curb behavior. How does he do it? He curbs it through the application of scripture. Let him that steals, steal no more. So once I learn I'm not supposed to take what doesn't belong to me, then I don't take what doesn't belong to me. When a doctor says to you, this is what's going on in your body. Okay, he or she is giving you the particulars. You need those. Because this is how, this is what's going to determine how you're to believe. Now that you know the particulars and you can see what's going on and they've explained it on the x-ray, now you can take your faith with it, which is invisible to the doctor's eye, but is, is visible to God in your heart and you can begin to say, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you, I'm believing you because I know the scripture says, by your stripes on that cross I am made whole. So it really doesn't matter now what everybody else is saying. We know what the doctor has said and what he said is true in a sense or, you know, it's true in the sense that this is what he's saying. But at the same time, we have something that's greater and we can put our trust in that. See, That's important. Same thing if you, if you were talking to a lawyer and you were going through a divorce or some kind of bad circumstance, you were being sued, that lawyer is going to tell you, say, look, here, here, here are the parameters of how this lawsuit is going to operate. This is what could happen. This is more than likely what will happen. But if you don't want any of those things to happen, there's a possibility you can settle. But even if you settle, this is what's going to happen. See, everybody's always talking to you about tomorrow and about the future and about possibilities. But even God is the exact same way. Faith is what opens up the door for you to experience the supernatural. Faith gives you the ability to have something one day in the present that you're believing God for in the future. But somebody has to be able to believe and trust God despite what the circumstances look like. And what does the word circumstance mean Circum from the Latin, meaning around, and stands has to do with a posture. So it's talking about those things that stand around you. And if you focus on those things that are standing around you that may impede or obstruct your vision of God, you give it a little bit of time, you'll lose your faith in God. So you've got to make your God so great, so big, magnify him so much that he's bigger than every problem that you have. Always remember that. You, 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 can take, you can take an object and put it under a magnifying glass, and that magnifying glass will make that object bigger, but that magnifying glass doesn't change the object. When we talk about magnifying God, God's nature doesn't change. You don't make him bigger or smaller at all. He's as big as he's ever going to be for you and for me. But when we magnify him in our speech, when we magnify him in our vision, we make God so large that our problems are never 
going to intimidate us because we serve him. Now that's important. Let's look at something else. Verse 34. Mary said, how shall this be seeing I don't know a man? How, how do I believe God? She is focusing on what she knows in the natural. And that is the creation of a child that's a product of a physical relationship between a male and a female. She knows that. She's a smart lady. But what she doesn't understand is that God is big enough to operate outside of natural laws. That's how we ended up with Christ the Savior in the world. God the Holy Ghost came upon a woman, placed that incorruptible seed inside of that woman. Then as the scripture says in verse 35, that holy thing which shall, future tense be born of you, shall be called the Son of God. So the angel was able to see it, believe it, and trust God for it. What is he doing with Mary? He's trying to get Mary to where he is. So by talking to Mary in this way, he's trying to bring Mary over to this place where she's no longer in unbelief and anxiety and doubt and no longer a skeptic, but she's able to trust God. You're not going to be able to do anything for God that's of any significant value if you won't believe that God will use somebody like you. And when you read the Bible, please don't put a halo over King David's head. King David's no different than you or me. In fact, in many regards, David might have committed more sins than some of us in this room right now. But yet David's all through the Bible. Think of Jacob. Jacob was a man that had a multitude of sons. But just do the resume on his life. When he was younger, he cheated his own brother. Cheated him out of the birthright. Yeah. Ended up with uh, blessing himself. And, uh, of course, had his dad lay hands on him. Faked like he was Esau. Put animal fur on his arms to make it seem like he was as hairy as his brother when he wasn't. Jacob went off to to uh, find a wife when he was on the run from his brother who's going to try to kill him. And the Bible says you reap what you sow. He went off there wanting to marry Rachel because he fell in love with her. And his own father-in-law deceived him. He was a deceiver. So his father-in-law deceived him. When Jacob finally started with his family, he had a woman that he loved and a woman that he hated. The woman that he loved couldn't have a child. The woman that he hated couldn't do anything but have kids. I guess he didn't hate her that much. He was going into that tent visiting her all the time. Well, so one child after another is coming coming along. And then look what happened when, when Jacob got older. His oldest boy ended up getting in trouble. He had a son that slept with one of, the, one of his ladies. He had a daughter, end up sexually assaulted. A couple of sons went into a village, murdered all the, or, or attacked all the men because of what the men had did to uh, their sister. Now this is with Jacob as the dad. Not to mention all of the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. Their own brother. Then came back home and lied to dad and said, Dad, by the way, a, a crazy animal killed that boy that you love. So Jacob didn't have the life that we would all envy. However, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, he is a man of faith. So don't put halos on their head. These folks are no different than you. They put their, 
their clothes on every day just like you and I did. They had to sing songs and worship God just like you and me. And when they fell into sin, they had to get right back up, dust themselves off and say, Father, forgive me, I need to start all over again. Even when they had to live with the consequences of their sin. How do I believe God? I do not limit myself by what I have naturally available to me. Don't limit yourself to your talents, your gifts. You're bound only by the fact that you won't believe God to do something great in your life. Look at verse 37, Luke chapter 1. We'll start wrapping this up. Verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. If, if you're going to believe God correctly, take the word impossible out of your vocabulary when it comes to your obedience to God. There is nothing impossible with God. And when, as people say, all hope fails, I can tell you one hope that doesn't fail, that's Jesus. The blessed hope. He, he, he doesn't fail. And, and when people tell you, I just don't, there's, there's no way out of this. Scripture says, Jesus says, I am the way. There's a way out. There really is. So from this perspective, we say it's not impossible. Not impossible. Now most young people, when they want to get married, you know, they, they have different ways of looking for spouses and stuff like that, you know. People go through a lot of different uh, things. I guess now, you know, some people do farmer.com and all these kinds of all these kinds of things. And 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 you know, for some folks, it just just works out. You know, years ago, people would go into the the back of some of the Western magazines and look in the old lovelorn columns. You know, there'd be somebody back at Maine, you know, looking to want to get married to somebody, and some cowboy go all the way back to Connecticut. And bring a bride back out here to the heartland or something like that. And you say, well, how'd you guys meet? Oh, I was reading the back of the Western magazine. You know, and, and there you have it. But, you know, it, 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 it operates differently. But I was, I was kind of particular about how, how I wanted to get married, who I wanted to marry. Single guy traveling in ministry. There were a lot of, a lot of different opportunities. You know, pastors, when you hold meetings and revivals, they love for you to stay with them. And they like for you to, they like to introduce you to they're daughters. Oh, yes. They, oh, please sit right here, right here at the table, right here, right here. Next, next to me, please. And then they put their daughter right on the other side so that you're eating the mashed potatoes. You can look right into her eyes, and she can look into yours. You know, just in the Old Testament, I guess this was marriage arrangement and all that kind of a thing. But I used to have a list, and, and on that list, I don't know how many things I had on. I had all these things I wanted my wife to be, and I carried that list around in my wallet. And, and I had a, had a, only a handful of people that I ever showed that list to. Just didn't like people to look at it because, of course, you know, you pull a list out of your wallet and then you unroll it and it just keeps unrolling and keeps unrolling and keeps unrolling and they wonder what, what's wrong with this guy. And I had all of this stuff that I wanted in the wife and I had one lady say to me in Saudi Arabia one time when she saw that list, she said, there's no way on this earth you're going to find a woman that meets those requirements. Well, they weren't requirements. It was just the things I wanted in a wife. Well, the scripture says, God will give you the desires of your heart. Now, you can take that two ways. Number one, God will give you what you want. I don't know if that's always the case. Or the second way is, God will put those desires in your heart that you ought to have to want certain things, which is probably what was happening. And I held on to that and held on to that. 
And then one day down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, down at Jimmy Swaggart's church, I was working in that mail room one day, and they brought that little girl in there to help out because we were a little underhanded. And I walked over there and introduced myself. And when Tiffany flashed those pearly whites at me and gave me that big grin, I'm telling you, I was hooked. I was hooked. Yeah. Well, I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't even care anything about the list when I met her. Cares about a list. But later on, I was so happy and so pleased that God had given me the desires of my heart. Well, I waited. I didn't get married till I was 29. So there were a lot of years of hugging the pillow at night and attending other folks' weddings and being invited to be in other folks' weddings and praying and asking and wanting God to do things for me. But I continued to believe God despite what I saw in what I was experiencing. So you as a Christian, don't allow the word impossibility to be a hindrance to you if you're believing God. Just because everybody else says it's impossible. That doesn't make it impossible for him. Doesn't make it impossible for you. It certainly makes it impossible for them. Because they don't want to believe God. And if we trust him, everything will work out. The last thing Mary said was, be it unto me according to thy word. That's the key. If this is your word, Lord, so be it. That's the same way of saying amen. That's, you know, that's, that's what amen means. People say that all the time when somebody says something they like. They say amen. Amen means so be it. Or, I agree. It's a good time to say amen. Good time to say Amen. You don't have to be afraid. I mean, nobody's going to throw you out of here. (laughs) Just trying to help you to see. So when we leave here tonight, you got all week and I've got all week to trust God and believe God. And I think that's a good thing. Let's stand on our feet. I can even make this personal. Every year, about this time of the year, if you spend a little time with farmers, Farmers start getting nervous about whether or not they're going to get everything in the ground. Whether or not equipment is going to break down. and Whether or not everything's going to come together. It's going to come together. Travis is going to get it all in the ground. It's going to come together. So are the Tuesday night farmers and the ones over in Red Cloud and Heaven. It's going to come together. It's going to work the way it's supposed to. How do you know? It works, all, it works every other year. Yeah, works every other year. And tomorrow morning when you get up and go to work, rather than jumping out of bed and saying, oh, my goodness, this is just going to be a terrible day. Believe God for a great day. The distance between a good day and a great day is equal to the distance between a good attitude and a bad attitude. What kind of day do you want it to be? You can live a life that's depressed, and sad, and negative, or you can walk with God and let God have his way. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful because we know your word is true. Every day that we stand on it, we found it to be a firm foundation. It's never been shaken. And no matter what test we've gone through, we found that we still have a good foundation that undergirds us. So, Lord, throughout this week, as we believe in your word, we're thanking you for your mighty hand being upon us right now. Thank you for touching us in our bodies physically this evening. We thank you for the recovery of health in our bodies. We thank you, Father, that you're the one that places joy inside of us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
Father, we pray that as we lay our heads on the pillow tonight, as the scripture says, you will give your beloved sleep. Father, we don't want to have a night filled with anxiety and fret and worry. Father, let our sleep be sweet. We worship you. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Praise the